Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, April Fifth, to achieve inner freedom, make a mental bonfire every night before you go to sleep of all your attachments, self-definitions, desires, and aversions. Nothing that can be measured, weighed, timed, or hoarded can ever truly belong to you. Toss into the flames piece by piece every obstacle to your inner peace. Feel your joy soaring skyward as your limitations one by one go up in smoke. Well, that is very interesting, isn't it? There was a, a woman friend of mine, let me go back up just a moment, in the, in the year 1976, which of course was a long time ago, in June of 76, Ananda Village, which is in Northern California, um, there was a, a forest fire. Now the fires are, well, now the fires have become rampant. We had forest fires, of course, all the way through because we were living in a rural forested area. But it wasn't quite as common as it is now. But this forest fire came through and half of our land was burned. And we had, we had a, 22 houses, I think, and 21 of them were burned at that point. The houses were mostly small cabins or domes, but... It, was, it represented almost a decade of work, and it was an enormous loss. Well, one of the women who lost her house had said, said to Swami afterwards, Sir, I've been following this practice. She said, Every night I would take everything that I own and I would throw it into the bonfire. She said, And, you know, I would, I would take my house and all its contents and throw it into the bonfire. <laughs> And she said, I'm afraid to do that anymore because look what happened. My house and all my contents were taken by the bonfire. And he laughed, I mean, ruefully. He said, it's not the house you wanted to burn. It's your attachment to the house that you wanted to burn. <laughs> now, there's a nuance that we have to work with. But it is an important nuance because we don't want to misunderstand this teaching. This teaching is not that we become irresponsible. It's not that we're, we're profligate with the, with the goods of this world that life gives us or we're, or we're, we're wasteful of uh, the resources for which we are the steward. We have to behave appropriately in every circumstance. Sri Yukteswar in Autobiography of a Yogi, he talks about the fact that from a young age he knew he never wanted to have to work for anybody else. So he, he managed to make a, a comfortable living by using it with, from property that he inherited and then working with it in a very businesslike manner so that he was always self-supporting. He also, even as a yogi, he didn't want to be dependent on his disciples, so he made sure that he had a steady income of his own. And he saw no contradiction between what he was doing to be a responsible citizen in this world. And Sri Yukteswar, by the time he's in Autobiography of a Yogi, is a sannyasi, He's a monk, he's a, a solitary, but he had been married and raised a daughter. His wife had died, 
his daughter was well established with her husband, then he felt free to renounce the world. But he had, as a spiritual man, he'd gone through all that householder stage. So don't think that what Swami is telling us to do is to be irresponsible in the world. In fact, Swami Kriyananda himself, Master himself, they set a very different example. They were very, I will actually use the word ambitious. They were very ambitious in terms of what they wanted to accomplish in the world. It was not selfish ambition. It was ambition to serve the world. But they were deeply committed to it and and Swami Kriyananda worked harder to accomplish what he set out to accomplish than anybody I've ever known or even imagined. And so did Master. It was a never-ending effort to do this work that had been given to them by God to do. So their their spiritual relationship to it was not low energy or lack of commitment. Their spiritual relationship to it was that they, they never allowed it to define them or bind them. What they were doing, um, well, it was very beautifully expressed by Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Now, Mother Teresa is, is known because she did this wonderful, dedicated work for poor people, for dying people, um, especially the house of the dying, taking care of orphans. She would pick dying people up off the street in India and bring them into her hospice and take care of them at the end of her life. She would help beggars and uh, homeless children. So it was all looked like social service to try to make the world a better place. And so some rather cheeky journalist was sort of, as people try to do, they try to be challenging, be clever by being challenging. So they sort of spoke to her about basically the small number of people that she and her nuns can help compared to certain NGOs, non-government organizations, non-profits that were working more effectively to help the poor and lift up the underprivileged. And, you know, Mother Teresa, what do you think about that? There's more efficient ways to accomplish what you're trying to accomplish. And she just looked at him, just looked at the journalist. And her, she was a very straightforward person. I had the pleasure of meeting her a few times just quickly and rather casually. But she made a strong impression right away. No nonsense would be the way you would describe her. She just looked at the journalist and said, Oh, you think my work is to help the poor. He, she said, My work is to do what Jesus tells me to do. And the reason she was helping the poor was she had been a, a sister in a, a, an ordinary convent or a, an established convent. She was on a train in India on her way to a, an assignment, I believe, teaching school in Darjeeling. And Jesus said, serve the poorest of the poor. So she basically got off the train and started doing that. But it wasn't because she felt that she was that the poor needed her. It was because Jesus told her to do it. And that is completely different. It may look the same, but one is acting according to inner inspiration as God wants me to act. The other is being committed and defined by the external world. So what Swamiji is suggesting to us here, and this is why... Swamiji was so ambitious is because Master said to him, you have a great work to do and to find that work for him. And Swami felt deeply called to, to begin to establish the, the model communities that Master said would be the social pattern of the future, 
of all of Master's disciples, Swamiji said, he was the only one who, who responded to it, although Dr. Uh, Oliver Black, at the end of his life, also tried to establish a community. But that wasn't until Oliver was like nearly 90, or maybe in his 90s. But Swami Kriyananda just felt this was my commission from Master to write books, to teach, and he just never gave up. But what he was doing is what his guru had asked him to do, which is to say if his guru had, had made it clear to Swami that something else was required, Swami would have turned and without a moment's hesitation gone in a new direction. I mean, masters are not whimsical, so that was unlikely to happen, and it never really did. But that was what the commitment was. And Master himself was here because Babaji had sent him to do this work. And so he gave it his all. But attachment to it is something completely else. Because attachment to it, suddenly one takes away your freedom. It also takes away the clarity of your own intuition. Because intuition has no form. And once we take intuition and we... We, we, we freeze it in a particular form, then immediately we've limited it. Now, once again, God is not whimsical. When we were here in, in the, uh, the Silicon Valley where I live, and we were getting ready to try to establish a community, which we have been able to do, um, we asked Swamiji, how should we pray about this? And he said, you don't need to ask God whether this is a good idea. He said, self-evidently, it's a good idea for you to be able to live in a community and to establish a community. Just ask God how he wants you to do it. And that was a very important point. Now, of course, just by asking God how we, he, we wanted, he wanted us to do it and by constantly asking him every day and by burning up our attachment and our self-definition every night and so that I'm not, I'm not gradually... De defining myself as someone who can start a community or lead a community or has successfully done this because as soon as I have defined myself that way one, I leave myself extremely vulnerable to the lack of success the, the reverse of fortune and also I, that's who I become and instead of being the infinite spirit now I'm a person who, write book, who writes books or starts community. And the very limitations that I came onto the spiritual path to overcome, now I have embraced them even harder. So that's why Swami says every night you build a bonfire in your own mind and you take everything that defines you other than the infinite, everything that can be weighed or measured, that depends on time or can be hoarded. I love that word, hoarded. In other words, everything of this world. Now, the way I've found this works best for me is I just think about my departing from this world. The concept of leaving this body and going on to the astral world, of dying and playing English, of death, for me has always been uplifting. So this is the way my brain works. Um, I've never had someone who was close to me, who I depended on on a daily... Well, that's not true because Swami Kriyananda has died. But I, I, my life has not been touched externally by death. Um, I'm actually going to just withdraw that because by this time in my life, many people have died. <laughs> I was just trying to think about that for a moment. What I was specifically thinking about was a, recent, a friend recently whose husband went to the astral world after 40 years of life together. 
and the effect that his departure had on her is more profound than any death has touched my life. So that was the point of contrast I was thinking. But many deaths have touched my life, including his. Of course, I wasn't his wife of 40 years, but he was a a profound brother to me. And his absence from this world breaks my heart in a certain way. Not because I'm worried about him, but because he's not here anymore. You know? And we can, we can live on many levels at the same time. We can rejoice in his freedom after a long illness and his triumphant life over many obstacles. But I can still say, oh gosh, I wish I could go see him again. Certainly how I feel about Swami Kriyananda. It's not as much fun living on this world without him. But coming back to death, because I have been present at the passing of a number of Ananda people and have also been present in the room even for many days or even sometimes weeks while someone was passing, I'm very aware of how that works, especially in the Ananda context where there is a profound understanding of what death is and what the soul needs at that time. And I've seen the way a dying person gradually withdraws from the world and I I sort of understand and feel that. I feel how the face changes, how the relationship to the external world changes. So I have enjoyed, and if you find this morbid, then well, there it is, but I don't. I've enjoyed just lying on my bed and just imagining that I'm not actually going to sleep, I'm dying. And I I can sort of think about who might be in the room with me, and I can think about some of the conversations we'll have, and I can think about how... They'll talk about our lives together and they'll talk about various things. And then they'll also gradually just chit-chat about what they're going to have for dinner and stuff like that because especially if passing goes on for days, sometimes you're very uplifted and focused and sometimes you're just having to figure out where you're going to have dinner because there's eight of you in the room and it's been six hours since anybody ate anything and whoever is dying hasn't finished dying yet. And again, none of this is morbid to me. This is just the way it works. And I enjoy all of that. And I enjoy getting farther and farther and farther away. Farther away from the people I love physically, not necessarily in my heart, but all of the tests and trials and the things I've worked so hard to accomplish. And I've written four books now in my life and I have a lot of those books are in the house because they're more important to me than they are to the readers in the world. And and so I store some of them here and sell them slowly and I just think of all that paper and just letting it go. You know, the people that I love, the wonderful temple that we have, you know, just letting it go. But But letting it go in a physical sense because transmuting it into its essential vibration. And its essential vibration was simply what Mother Teresa said. I'm not helping the poor. I'm doing what Jesus asked me to do. And trying as much as possible to turn everything in my life into a very simple equation. How much have I loved God? How much have I served God? How much have I given my heart to God? And how much more can I do? I don't mean of active service but how much more can I give? And so just let it all go. I mean, we never know. We usually wake up in the morning, but what if we don't? 
You know, we want to die free. We want to live free. We want to wake up in the morning as free as my heart can possibly be. Because that's why we were born. And that's where our happiness comes from. So Swami says, To achieve inner freedom, make a mental bonfire every night before you go to sleep of all your attachments, self-definitions, desires, and aversions. Nothing that can be measured, weighed, timed, or hoarded can ever truly belong to you. Toss into the flames, piece by piece, every obstacle to your inner peace. Feel your joy soaring skyward as your limitations, one by one, go up in smoke. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.